Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. Welcome back for uh, time for us to give you some uh, teaching and learning, we hope, on more of church teaching about heaven in hell. And I've done talks on heaven and hell before. I've explained what our bodies will be like in heaven, what our judgment will be like, um, and you can find those on our, our Divine Mercy channel or on Facebook or YouTube. And um, Divine Mercy Plus also is where we have all our videos. And today, though, I'm going to go beyond that, and we're going to talk about the levels. And very few people understand this. What are the levels of heaven? And does everybody experience it the same way? The answer is no. And the levels of hell, and do people experience that in the same way? The answer is no. And so we hope that you will be able to be with us because we're about to explain something that I learned again in seminary. And this is church teaching based on scripture. And we hope that you will uh, know your faith more through this talk to love your faith more. And also, for me, it's kind of a wake-up call because there's some things in there that I think, wake us up. So let us begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us <clears throat> to open our mind and hearts, to receive the grace you wish to bestow, the grace to lead us to the highest levels of heaven, and to void even the basic levels of hell. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, I'm glad that um, you could be with us because, as you see from the slide, there's different levels, but you know what? Actually, the word level is incorrect. I put the word levels on the slide because that's what we're used to hearing, different levels of heaven and hell. Actually, it's not correct, and we'll explain that. Now, let's go to our first slide. Now, this is the Catechism of the Catholic Church, addresses, which is always based on scripture, but it tells us what heaven is. Now, I'm just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, because again, I did a talk about it, but I'm going to give a little introduction again on heaven and hell, and then we're going to go into the details of the levels. Now, the church says, this perfect life, meaning life in heaven, with the most holy trinity, this communion of life and love with the trinity, with the Virgin Mary, with the angels and all the saints, the blesseds, is called heaven. Heaven is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longings, even if we don't know what they are. We're always hearing people say, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to this, Father. Yes, there is. God. Um, it is the fulfillment of the deepest human longings, the state of supreme definitive happiness. Now, that is joy. And so, I'm going to start with a couple eyewitnesses to heaven. Do you know we have eyewitnesses? People always write me, Father Chris, how can you be teaching this? You don't know. You're correct. I don't know. But I do know who knows. I know God teaches us through the scriptures. So, the prophets tell us they know. Let's start with St. Paul. He knows. He tells us in 2 Corinthians, let's go to our next slide. This is St. Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 5. Here's what Paul says. 
I know someone in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to the third heaven. Huh. And I know that this person was caught up into paradise and heard ineffable things. Ineffable means just things you can't even explain. They're so great. Which no one may utter. Hmm. Right there, Paul tells us there's something. Why would he say third heaven? We'll talk about it. Faustina commented on both heaven and hell. Jesus showed her heaven and hell. And a real brief description on heaven, she said, this source of happiness... Heaven is unchanging in its essence, but is always new. People always say to me, I, I love my seventh graders. I, I used to talk a lot about teaching my seventh grade catechism. And one of the kids asked if there would be video games in heaven, because otherwise it'll be boring just sitting there all day. No, it will not be boring. Why? Because there's no time in heaven. Boredom only comes with the passage of time. There is no passage of time in heaven. Everything is instant, and everything is new, Faustina said, gushing forth happiness for all creatures. Now I understand St. Paul who said, eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So Faustina tells us a little bit about heaven. Let's go to our next slide, St. Teresa of Avila. She's a great one. <clears throat> what does she say about heaven? This is Avila, Sister uh, Teresa of Avila. The Lord showed himself to me, this is her talking on earth, little by little, given that he had to give me grace in order to see him entirely. So we're not, even the great saints don't see God all at once, suddenly, instantly. She said, little by little. However, I understood that it suited my natural weakness to happen this way. God will only feed you as much as you're able to eat. He will not force himself on you. The more you're prepared and ready for him, the more he will reveal himself to you. If he is like this on earth, where he shows himself in proportion to our natural weakness. What that means is those who are seeking God in a state of grace, they will experience him more than those who are lukewarm, don't care, living out of a state of grace. I mean, even if you fall and slip, okay, yeah, that's one thing, get to confession. But are you desiring, are, are, you, are you remorseful, are you trying, and are you repenting? <clears throat> now, she said, she said, where he shows himself in proportion to our natural weakness here on earth, what will it be in heaven where one will enjoy him in all of his splendor? So she's saying, get ready. Now, that's a little bit about heaven. Let's talk a little bit about hell. All right, what is hell? Hell is, okay, let's start with eternal damnation. All right, eternal damnation is not God's initiative. Everybody says, well, I can't belong to a God who would send me to hell. He doesn't. We send ourselves. We all know this, right? I'm just giving you kind of a refresher course. Eternal damnation is not attributed to God's initiative, 
but in his merciful love, he can only desire this because in his merciful love, he can only desire the salvation of the beings he created. God desires the salvation of everyone. That's why Catholics do not teach double predestination. We believe in predestination, believe it or not, St. Thomas Aquinas. That means there are some of the elect. You, God will always give you the grace to get to heaven, but we don't believe in double predestination, which is Calvinistic, which means you were born and you're going to heaven no matter what you do. And this guy over here was born and he's going to hell no matter what he does. <clears throat> uh-uh. That's, that takes away your free will. That's double predestination. All right, now, in reality, it is the creature who closes himself to God's love. And so while it's not double predestination, this is our choice. Okay, our choice. Damnation consists precisely in the definitive separation from God, freely chosen by the human person. Again, not Calvinistic, not double predestination, that no matter what you do, you're damned. It's not Catholic teaching. And confirmed with death. So what is the judgment? Well, wait a minute, Father. You just said God can't send me to hell, or God won't send me to hell. But then what is my judgment? If you're telling me God doesn't send me to hell, what is my judgment? Aha. This is what Teresa Avila told us, that your choice for heaven and hell or hell is freely chosen by you and simply confirmed at your death that seals your choice forever. So your judgment is not God determining, hmm, I think you'll go to heaven and you'll go to hell. Your judgment is God confirming at your death the choice you made and putting a seal on it. He seals your choice forever. God's judgment ratifies your choice in the state which you passed. So now let's talk about St. Teresa of Avila, more on her, on hell. Her visions reminded her of the mercy of God and how he spared her from hell. You know what's scary? Teresa of Avila told us that God showed her her place in hell. Yikes. Because if Teresa Avila had a place in hell, what about us? All right. Well, Teresa of Avila, obviously we know her for having many mystical experience, these ecstatic experiences of ecstasy, having God's presence, some of the greatest experiences ever recorded about heaven and Jesus and, and spiritual union is St. Teresa of Avila. But she also received visions of the opposite. And this is what we want to mention here. She writes about a frightening vision of hell, and she said it haunted her for the rest of her life. So now, let's talk a little bit about this. All right, here's her quote. I realized that it was the Lord's will that I should see the place which the devils had prepared for me and which I had merited for my sins. Whoa. It would be impossible for me to forget it. The entrance resembled a long, narrow passage, like a furnace, very low, dark, and closely confined. The ground seemed to be full of water, which looked like filthy, evil-smelling mud, and in it were many wicked-looking reptiles. 
At the end, there was a hollow place scooped out of the wall like a cupboard. And it was there, or it was here, that I found myself in close confinement. The walls closed in on me. Now, I don't know about you. I have two fears. I mean, obviously, the fear of eternal damnation is always there. But on earth, I have two fears. I do not like heights. I, I, I mean, I just, I get near the edge of a building or up. If there's a guardrail, I'm fine. If I'm inside a building, I'm fine. But if I'm standing on an edge and there's people walking around me, I have this fear that somebody's going to like push you, push you off. Heights is one. And the other one is claustrophobia. I, to be enclosed, to be crushed where you can't move. Like if you, like I remember when I was a little kid, I was climbing up in the attic and I was looking for my baseball cards. And we had this real tight little crawl space and I got wedged up there. And I would try to get, cause I could almost reach them and I got wedged up in there. And I panicked, I panicked. Because I just, that, that fear of being in close, and this is what she's saying, hell was like, I'm like, oh man, Lord, that, that is something that, that, that would be for me so troublesome. Now she said, she said, uh, but in the sight of all this, this was all pleasant by comparison with what I felt next. My feelings could not possibly be exaggerated, nor can anyone understand them. I felt a fire within my soul, the nature of which I am utterly incapable of describing. I had been put in this place, which looked like a hole in the wall, and these very walls, so terrible to the sight, bore down upon me and completely stifled me. There was no light, and everything was in the blackest darkness with the stenchiest of smells. I mean, this is, this is not where we want to go. But again, God didn't, doesn't send us there. Our death and our judgment is just ratification of the choices we made. All right, so she said, this vision was one of the most signal favors, though, which the Lord ever gave me. She said it was a grace. It has been one of the greatest benefits to me in strengthening me on this earth to accept my suffering in this life and to give thanks to God for his mercy that Jesus Christ delivered us from damnation. He has delivered me from such terrible and never-ending torments. So she called the sight of hell not scary, but a grace. She said if she hadn't turned away from vice and turned to a life of virtue, this would have been her fate. We really need to listen to this. She had sadness for the fate of those who chose hell. And it inspired her to offer the rest of her life as a sacrifice for souls. And this is what Faustina, all the saints are the same. How much are we sacrificing for souls? How much? The good news is, she said, no matter how far down the wrong path you have gone, because I also have people come up to me saying, Father, like I talked to be the airport is probably one of my biggest ministries of all, even including the YouTube. It's the airport. When I go to the airport, people come up to me all the time. They recognize us from the YouTube videos, but strangers will see the collar. I always wear the collar 
They'll come up for confession. They'll come up to argue. They'll come up to call me pedophile. They'll come up to say, God bless you. They'll come up. It's just amazing what you can evangelize in an airport. And so I remember having one guy in the airport come up and, and he was asking me where I was a priest. And, and I told him and I, I, I said, um, are you a Catholic? And he said, I was, I guess I still am, but I can't go back to church, Father. The place would burn down. It, it, you know, if you threw holy water on me, it would sizzle. And I said, well, I got some right here. <laughs> and I said, and I guarantee you it won't sizzle. But he said, I've, bit, I've done too many bad things. Well, that's exactly why we need to go back to church. It's exactly what Teresa of Avila is telling us. No matter how down the wrong path we are, it's not too late. And so this is good news. All right, let's keep going. Let's talk. Next slide. Uh, Brother Mark, show us. This is the children of Fatima. You all know the children of Fatima. This is on the July 13th, 1917 vision. And Our Lady showed her, them a vision. Now, here's what they said. Our Lady showed us a great sea of fire, which seemed to be underneath the earth. Plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form, like transparent burning embers, all blackened or bronzed, burnished bronze, floating in conflagration. That means fire. Now raised into the air by the flames that issued from within themselves, together with great clouds of smoke, now falling back on every side like sparks in a huge fire, without weight or equilibrium, amid shrieks and groans of pain and despair, which horrified us and made us tremble with fear. The demons could be distinguished by their terrifying and repellent likeness to frightful and unknown animals, all black and transparent. This vision lasted but an instant. And the children said, how could we ever be grateful enough to our kind heavenly mother who had already prepared us by promising us in the first apparition to take us to heaven? Otherwise, we would have died for fear. So here's the point, everybody. He might be saying, Father Chris, I'm turning this off right now. Why are you talking about these things with my children in the room? Don't be afraid to make your children aware of hell. God did. Mary did. In fact, wasn't Jacinta only six? Okay? Jacinta was only six years old. And she's being shown a vision of hell. Way worse than me just describing this to you. And your children might be in the room. Now, I understand. You don't want to give anybody nightmares. But... Mary showed a little girl six years old. Hell, why? Because it helped us realize what we need to do is pray. Pray that souls avoid it. Now let's talk, let's watch a one and a half minute video uh, that we have a joint copyright with Augustine Institute on this DVD. It's really a powerful video. Now, if you have children, small children in the room, okay, make, you might want to, push pause or turn down the volume if you're afraid that they might get scared because this is a little bit of a, of a scary video because it shows what the children saw when Mary revealed hell to them. So if you do have little children, this might be the time if you are afraid of nightmares or something that you might want to turn it down. But for the rest of us, let's watch this because it really is a wake-up call. Se Nossa Senhora não tinha prometido para nos levar para o céu, acho que teria morrido de medo.
Our Lady showed us a great sea of fire which seemed to be under the earth. Plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form, like transparent burning embers of blackened or burnished bronze floating about in the conflagration. Now raised into the air by the flames that issued from within themselves together with great clouds of smoke, now falling back on every side like sparks in a huge fire without weight or equilibrium and emit tricks and groans of pain and despair which horrified us and made us tremble with fear. The demons could be distinguished by their terrifying and repellent likeness to brightful and unknown animals, all black and transparent. This vision lasted but an instant. How can we ever be grateful enough to our kind Heavenly Mother, who had already prepared us by promising in the first apparition to take us to heaven, otherwise I think we would have died of fear and terror. Okay, so that's kind of, as I said, a wake-up call for us. But, you know, these children are not the only ones who saw this. Um, St. Francis of Rome described hell. This really got to me. She said, in hell for eternity, there is neither rest, nor consolation, nor hope. The three things we need are rest, consolation, and hope. And there's none of that for all eternity. What about Faustina? Now, I'm going to read a little paragraph that I read way back when I did my talk on hell a couple years ago. But I, I, let's go to our next slide. This is St. Faustina. Let's read what Faustina said because she talks about the levels. So now we're going to start to get into the levels. All right, so let's talk about the levels starting with St. Faustina. St. Faustina in Diary 741 tells us about the different levels of what we experience in hell. She was shown hell. And she said, today I was led by an angel to the chasms of hell. It is a place of great torture. How awesomely large and extensive it is. The kinds of tortures I saw. The first, the first torture is that which constitutes hell um, is the loss of God. The biggest suffering when you see what you lost the second torture is perpetual remorse of our conscience. You will forever be sorry, regretting what you did, but it's too late. The third torture is that one's condition will never change. Wow. At least on earth, we have the hope that we can repent and change. I keep saying to myself, okay, Lord, I'm working on this particular struggle of mine. I, I want to change. I want to change. So even if I slip, I... I'm turning to God saying, help me change. Give me the grace because it's possible. All things are possible with God's grace, but in hell, it's frozen. The fourth torture is that the fire that will penetrate the soul will never run out. The fire that will penetrate the soul without destroying it. A terrible suffering since it is a purely spiritual fire lit by God. The fifth torture is continual darkness and a terrible suffocating smell. And despite the darkness, the devils and the souls of the damned see each other and all the evil, both of others and their own. So you're constantly having evil shoved in your face. 
The sixth torture is the constant company of Satan. The seventh torture is horrible despair, hatred of God, vile words, curses, and blasphemies. These are the tortures suffered by all the damned together, but that is not the end of the sufferings. There are special tortures destined for particular souls. These are the torments of the senses. Here's a scary one. Each soul undergoes terrible and indescribable sufferings related to the manner in which it is sinned. So if you are sinning by constant gluttony, Faustina is telling us we're probably in hell going to be force-fed and crammed down the sin that we enjoyed. It's scary. There are caverns and pits of torture which one form of agony differs from another. I would have died at the very sight of these tortures if the omnipotence of God had not supported me. Let the sinner know that he will be tortured throughout all eternity. You know, everybody always accuses us Marians of the fluff of St. Faustina. It's all fluff. This mercy of God says you can sin when you want, however you want, in whichever way you want. We get this complaint all the time, especially, I, I always say, I, I'm not a rad trad, I'm a glad trad. Um, but we really get it from them that Faustina is fluff and that she's all kumbaya, and happy joy joy and and the mercy of god misleads people because we don't teach the people about god's justice well did we hear what we just read she says these are things we have to wake up i'm writing this at the command of god so that no soul may find an excuse by saying there is no hell or that nobody has ever been there and so no one can say what it is like when i came to i could hardly recover from the fright how terribly souls suffer there. I pray even more now fervently for the conversion of sinners. I incessantly plead God's mercy for them, upon them. Oh my Jesus, I would rather be in agony until the end of the world amidst the greatest sufferings than offend you with the least sin. All right. Now you can say, Father, you've really given me a good mood today. You've really put me in a joy, joy mood. Okay, well, that is how we had to start to let everybody know of the seriousness of the levels of hell. I, I told a little bit about heaven in the beginning, and now we just described hell. But now we're going to go into the levels. And what are these levels that we want to talk about? Okay, there's a good article out there in Catholic Answers. It's a great, a great site to, to, to refresh your memory on the faith by Peggy Fry. And she talks about the terms and levels of heaven and hell to describe the degrees. She uses degrees of punishment and reward. The degrees of reward in heaven, the degrees of punishment in hell. In this, she says, reflects the literary imagery of Dante. Dante's Divine Comedy. She says, but that's really not church teaching. So earlier I told you that I used the word levels, and it wasn't really technically correct. She says, degrees of perfection or punishment is the proper term. So actually, my slide should say the degrees of heaven and hell. Now, the degree of perfection of the beatific vision granted to the just is what? Will I experience 
the beatific vision in the same way you are, are going to? Well, I mean, hopefully we all will. But of course, Father, God is God. He is in his essence fully revealed to all the blessed in heaven. So yes, they will all experience him the same way. No, the degree of perfection of the beatific vision granted to the just is proportionate to each person's merits. And this is why people attack the Catholic Church. They, they don't understand the difference between merit and Christ's redemptive work. They go together. The Council of Florence in 1439, and remember the councils, the church is given the authority by God to teach us. <clears throat> and they declared that souls of the perfectly just clearly behold God as he is. This is true. But in those who differ in merits, one experiences God more perfectly than another. So you will not experience God the same way I do. This is really amazing, which most Catholics don't know. Council of Trent stated that the justified person merits an increase of the heavenly glory by good works. Ah, let's attack that Catholic faith again. You're going to buy your way into heaven. <clears throat> no, the church doesn't teach that you can buy your way into heaven. The church doesn't teach that just by simply going and doing something, we can get into heaven. Christ's passion, death, and resurrection in his grace is what gets us into heaven. But you got to cooperate with that grace, okay? You have to cooperate with it. And what we're talking about by works, good works, is not works of the law, like Romans 3.28. I always told you the story about the woman who pinned me down at Walmart. She said, how could you belong to a religion that goes against the Bible? Romans 3.28, you are saved by faith alone and not by works. Well, that's not what Romans 3.28 says. Romans 3.28 says you are saved by faith. This is true, but not the word alone. Martin Luther added it. The only place in the whole Bible where faith alone appears is the book of James, where James says you are not saved by faith alone. Okay, now in it, the book, Romans 3.28, you are saved by faith and not by works of the law. We believe that. When Catholics say good works, we're not talking about works of the law. We're talking about works of love. You must have works of love. Just say love then. You don't like the word works? Get rid of the word works. Just say love. Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. When I was hungry, you gave me food. Thirsty, drink. Water, when I was thirsty. Clothing, when I was naked. You visited me in prison. Well done, welcome into the joy of your father's kingdom. You got to have love. Love God first, your neighbor second, the two great commandments. Now, you don't believe me? I won't go into all this detail, but it's all over scripture that we need merit. Go to Matthew 16, 27, 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 41. I can go on and on. The key is, trust me on this one. You need merit to be able to cooperate with the grace. You're only saved by grace. You're not saved by your own efforts. People misunderstand the Catholic Church that we are saying your efforts will get you to heaven. No, only God's grace gets you to heaven. 
but you either cooperate with it or not. Remember Fulton Sheen? Millions of people hate what they think is the Catholic Church. Very few, if any, hate what is actually the Catholic Church. You know, speaking of Fulton Sheen, it's funny, because on the YouTube comment, this, this guy wrote this pretty scathing comment that you Catholics are crackpot, and even your own Fulton Sheen denied the ascension and the assumption of Mary. So I wrote back, no, he didn't. <laughs> it's just, thank you, but no, he didn't. God bless you. And he writes back these scathing comments and demanding an apology from me because he gave the quote of Fulton Sheen. The quote from Fulton Sheen does not deny the ascension. It further explained it. He wasn't talking about locomotion. He went into all this detail. He didn't deny the ascension. He didn't deny it at all. So this guy's attacking the Catholic Church because, and the Assumption of Mary, same thing. And so Fulton Sheen did not deny the Assumption of Mary. So this guy's sending me about 50 comments on there. You owe me an apology. I demand an apology. I'm like, an apology? If you want an apology for the Ascension or the Assumption, I'll give you an apology. I'm sorry, I can't apologize. <laughs> because this, this is what Fulton Sheen was talking about. We can't, we, we, people don't understand what Catholic Church teaching is. Now, here is what is Catholic Church teaching. It's in the Catechism, which is always based in Scripture. 1053, we believe that the multitude of those gathered around Jesus and Mary and paradise forms the Church of Heaven, where in eternal blessedness they see God as He is, again, to their own degree, and where they are also, to various degrees, associated with the holy angels in the divine governance exercised by Christ in glory, by interceding for us and helping our weakness by their fraternal concern. Basically, the catechism right there says varying degrees. They're varying levels. So, the same thing in hell. They're, the punishment of the dam is proportionate to your guilt. Now, the Council of Lyons and Florence uh, declared that the soul of the dam are punished with different punishments. This is probably, basically, I think, intended to assert a difference in the degree of punishment for personal sins. Now, it's another non-Catholic thing. Sin is sin. No, it's not. Paul says some sin is deadly, some sin is not. Um, you got Matthew uh, eleven twenty two, Luke twenty forty seven. It says in the Bible, some will receive a greater condemnation. It says it. Um, Saint Augustine, quote, in their wretchedness, the lot of some of the damned will be more tolerable than that of others. Justice demands that the punishment be commensurate with the guilt. There are different levels. Now, let's go to, um, you know, I always like the theologian Jimmy Aiken of Catholic Answers, and he did a, a work, piece of work called, How Many Heavens Are There? Because the Bible talks about the heavens, right? You ever think about that? When we pray the evening prayer, the heavens and the earth. Well, what are the heavens, plural? All right, he says the idea that there are multiple heavens did not originate with Dante in his work, Divine Comedy. 
various ancient sources, including passages in the Bible and other Jewish writings, talk about multiple heavens. The Hebrew word for heaven, Shemayim, is dual in number. Here's what he says, suggesting two heavens. But other passages suggest even more. I opened this talk talking about Paul, where he said I was taken up, or the, that person was taken up to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, Jimmy Aiken says, other ancient sources speak of even more heavens. You hear the term, I was in seventh heaven. I was in seventh heaven. In fact, some sources are even up to 10. And so that means seventh heaven means like you're supremely happy. You're, you're in the most happy state. Now, keep in mind, though, that in the big biblical languages, words for heaven could also be words for sky. And it may be that Paul was including the physical heavens when he talked about the heavens. So this is what Jimmy Aiken says. He says, specifically, it has been suggested that he may be envisioning Paul, the first heaven, as our atmospheric sky, all right, uh, the place where our birds fly. So what he's saying is it's quite possible that Paul is saying, when he talks about the heavens, that the first is our own sky, the atmosphere. You know, the birds are flying around. He believes that the second heaven uh, would be the celestial heaven where the stars are. So maybe that's better to say the atmosphere um, the, or the, um, the universe. And the third heaven, that would be the dwelling place of God. So his take is that's where Paul refers to the third heaven. That's the actual heaven that we think of. So he says, if so, when he speaks of being caught up to the third heaven, meaning Paul, he simply means being caught up to the real presence of God. So the passage may not indicate multiple spiritual realms or multiple spiritual heavens. So that's what he says. But the core insight behind the depictions of all this multi-layered heavens is that heaven is not a single state. Here's the key, everybody. When you hear heavens, what he's saying, and I think this is very good, is that, bottom line, he says, is this. When we hear the word heavens, it means that the heaven is not a single state in which all the saints and all the angels are equal, and all people receive the same reward. They don't. It's more complex. So I went, Chris Barks pointed me to the book Eschatology. This was written by Cardinal Ratzinger. And he said the scholastics, those are from um, centuries ago in the Middle Ages, spoke of the special crowns of martyrs, virgins, and doctors of the church. So God gives each person a different fulfillment. You're called in a different way. Okay, peculiar, peculiarly to you, to this individual. And that is the way each and everyone will receive your utmost fulfillment. Okay, you know that example of a thimble versus a 55-gallon drum? Okay, now I pray I make it to heaven someday, but I'll probably be, and everybody will be full. Everybody will be filled. You will not be lacking at all. But I'll probably be that little thimble, but I'm full, I'm happy. 
whereas St. Faustina is the 55-gallon drum. She's filled. She's happy. But see the difference? It's this versus this. This will be moi. This will be Faustina. And so when I read her diary, I'm like, Lord, I could never get to this. I get, I get sometimes discouraged. I'm like, Lord, I could never be like Faustina. And I, I keep hearing this, keep trying. Saints are simply sinners who keep on trying. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. This is what God keeps putting in my heart. Every time I read the diary, I get discouraged, and then God gives me these consolations. The joy for him is not in your success. The joy for him is in the effort you laid down your will. That's what gives God joy. It's not that I helped convert this number of people or that we reached that number of people or that I did this at the airport. That's not what God's looking at. He's looking at, am I giving my best effort and laying down my will? Am I surrendering? Man, that lit there's two litanies that will just whack you in the side of the head. The litany of humility and the, the, the uh, surrender, the one of surrender. Man, you want to get knocked upside the head, that will do it for you. Um, and so anyway, this book, Benedict, said the scholastics spoke of the special crowns, you know, that each person will be filled in a different way. And he linked the individual's unique experience of heaven to the passage in Revelation 2.17, where Jesus promises to those who remain faithful, right, to the end, Quote, I will give him a white stone. This is referring to Revelation 2.17. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone, which no one knows except the person who receives it. So you are all called to something different. Now, hopefully, you know your seven deadly sins, right? You know, some people say the seven deadly sins are the levels of hell. Y'all remember your seven deadly sins? I know this is so kind of crazy, but the way I always remember them, I've told this before, is Gilligan's Island. Because Gilligan's Island had the seven deadly sins. All right. All right. Who was the professor? Pride. He thought he could build a radio out of a coconut, but never got him off the island. All right. Never got him off the island. He was, he was very condescending. He was pride. Who was Gilligan? Some people say, well, he was the devil. No, Gilligan was sloth. He was always lazy, trying to find his way out of work. So Gilligan was sloth. All right, who was Skipper? Skipper was anger, wrath, because he's always yelling. You know, always hitting Gilligan. G-Man and me, I always laugh because one of our workers said, I was Skipper, he was Gilligan, because we forgot to turn, off, turn on the record button. But then when I went to, to say, what are you doing? My voice couldn't come out. I, I couldn't make the words. God just totally cut my vocal cords. So Skipper is wrath. Who's Marianne? My favorite. Marianne, envy. She envied Ginger. She wasn't happy with who God made her. She wanted to be Ginger. Who was Ginger? Ginger was lust. At one point or another, trying to get with each of the men on the island. There was only a few of them. But Ginger was lust. It was Mrs. Howell. Mrs. Howell was greed. She was 
No, I'm sorry, she was gluttony because she wanted more of everything. Whether it was fur coats, minks, diamond rings, you've heard me say, they only went on a three hour tour. Where did she get all those mink coats? Where did she get all those diamond rings? So she was gluttony, she wanted more, more, more. And Mr. Howell, greed, everything is based on money. So many have said that the, the levels of hell are the seven deadly sins. And so what we have to understand is that um, each of us will experience our punishment if we, if we are a lost soul on those ways we sinned. So, you know, like I said, if it's gluttony and that's what you chose to sin in this earth, your punishment in hell is going to be being overly probably crammed with food or whatever. And so we have to just realize that this is not because God is punishing us because he wants to, it's because it's a choice we made, right? And so despite its presence in, in a good deal or good amount of Judeo-Christian literature, the idea that there is a specific and spiritually small number of heavens is not church teaching. It's not. Instead, it teaches the core idea that this represents that heaven is experienced differently by different individuals. That's what it means by heavens. I never knew this. Never knew this till I went to seminary. And based on what they did in life and how much they have opened themselves up to God's grace. Now let's have Brother Mark go to the next slide. Here's an interesting quote from St. Ignatius. There's a picture of St. Ignatius. St. Ignatius said, if God gives you an abundant harvest of trials, it is a sign of the great holiness he's calling you to. He's giving you all the crosses to get you to be holy. Do you want to become a great saint? Hmm. Ask God to send you many sufferings. Oh, man. <laughs> that one is hard. St. Ignatius, God bless you. I haven't gotten to that level yet. I just ask God to give me the grace to get through the sufferings I have. I beg God, please. What did Faustina say? Lord, I don't ask you to take me down from the cross. I ask you to give me the grace to let me remain steadfast upon it. And so I realize I'm more like that. I do pray for God's grace. Lord, please help me get me through the suffering. Please help me persevere. But man, to get to that level of St. Ignatius where you are saying, Lord, send me more. That's hard. The flame of divine love never rises higher than when fed with the wood of the cross, which is, now this is interesting, which the infinite charity of the Savior uses to finish his sacrifice. All the pleasures of the world are nothing compared with the sweetness found in the gall and vinegar that was offered to Jesus. That is, hard and painful things endured for Jesus and with Jesus. That's why when you're on the cross with him, suffering is redemptive. It's hard to understand. And so the level of heaven, which we really should call the degree, the degree, I keep saying decree. I'm sorry, I've been working on so many decrees as a provincial superior that but de degree that you get, what you get depends on you. Um, it's all determined here on earth. Everything. 
is determined here on earth. So what are the degrees of heavenly bliss? Another great article. Uh, this one came out of a St. Catherine of Siena Roman Catholic parish by somebody just called P.T. Uh, and this is really good. I want to quote some of this work because I found it very effective. To say the redeemed will attain perfection is not the same as saying they will attain equality. It's not. It's not. For those of us who must, before entering heaven, begin a process of purifying our love for God, we must enter purgatory. In other words, and purgatory is biblical. I have a whole talk on that. You can find on our YouTube channel. In other words, the depth of the love we have at the moment of death is the depth at which we shall be glorified. We can no longer repent or merit after we die. Now, that does not mean we know when you die. Do you know they allow us priests to anoint up to three hours after somebody dies? Because we don't know when the soul leaves the body. This is why it's important to pray. The level of spiritual maturity we have attained at the moment of death is the level at which we shall be perfected through our life in purgatory. The level at which we shall spend eternity. In other words, you're set at a certain level. What purgatory does is perfect that level with which you are set. When I die, I will have a certain amount. You die. When you die, you will have a certain amount of spiritual maturity based on the amount you love God and neighbor. Very clear, that's why he makes it the two great commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. Based on that realm, your spiritual maturity is how much you loved God and loved neighbor. Notice what's not in that equation? Yourself. By our fallen nature, we want to put ourselves number one. Uh-uh. God first, neighbor second than ourselves. Now, of course, we have to have self-preservation. That's a virtue. But anyway, our love for God and neighbor will be perfected, but it will not be increased. You cannot increase it after you die. So um, this person says, look at this analogy. We talked about this. A 50-gallon drum or a little tiny thimble of water. One container is just as full as the other, but their capacity is greatly different. This image illustrates what the church teaches. In the lives of the redeemed in heaven, there will be varying degrees of blessedness. I kind of equate it to a football game. Now, if the Lions make it to the Super Bowl, okay, if there's some donor that wants a chaplain there at the Super Bowl, I'll be happy to go. Now, I'm not counting on that. But everybody in that Super Bowl stadium, especially if the Lions are there, will be happy. The very fact that they got in, they will be happy. The very person in the last row will be happy. But will he experience the same way as the guy on the 50-yard line in the fifth row? Uh-uh. But both are happy but the one on the fifth row will have a greater fulfillment. He'll have a greater 
vision, a greater reality of what's happening on in the field. He'll see things. He'll, he'll experience it in a deeper way than the guy up in the nosebleed, but all are happy. That's my personal interpretation, okay? That is not scriptural. Although Paul does say that heaven's like a bunch of spectators in a stadium watching us all run a race. And so this is what he's saying. Now, different persons will have different capacities for union with God based on the sanctity that each has had achieved by the grace in this life. Well, Father, how do thy then achieve that sanctity? You must cooperate with the grace God gives you. Now, the grace that God gives you is things like moving you to confession. Are you cooperating with that grace and actually going? Or are you finding a million excuses? What about the grace to go back to mass? Well, I can't go. Father, the place would burn down. No. The grace of this is very important. We will be filled to perfection, though not at all in the same capacity. So don't reject God's grace. Do you know, I'm going to read you a quote here in a minute. Brother Mark just sent me a, 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 I was working on this talk this morning and my text went off and Brother Mark has sent me an article about the different saints and their visions of heaven and hell. And in it, I'm going to read you one that um, one of the saints said, you know, the lowest place in hell who reserved. Now there's ones who say Judas, and I'll get to that in a moment. But the lowest place in hell is actually for Christians. Bad Christians. Not good Christians. Bad Christians. Because they were given the most grace. You're given the grace of the sacraments. You're given the grace of Christ, your Redeemer. And you rejected it. Way worse than a pagan who wasn't given that grace. Crazy, isn't it? This is why we really have to pray for our fallen away loved ones. Now, I'll get to that in a moment. But anyway, um, even so, there will be no envy in heaven. Even if, like I said, Faustina's got the 55-gallon drum. I got the little tiny thimble. Am I going to be envious of Faustina? Am I going to be jealous of her and want to push her off the cliff in heaven? No. We're going to rejoice in each other. Those who will be the thimbles will forever rejoice in the saints who will be water towers. I think that's powerful. Practice now on earth by accepting that. The hardest thing for us to do is rejoice when somebody gets chosen over us. You know, it's like those Miss America pageants where there's two left on the stage and they call the one and the other one acts like they're so happy and they hug them, they say, I'm so happy you won. And you know inside, they are not thinking that. They are not thinking, I'm so happy you won. If you really want to reach a level of sanctity, you truly would. Because you would see it as, this is God's will. God's, this is God's providence. Maybe there's, I would have been traveling while I was, that sounds weird, why I was Miss America, but why that person was Miss America, and, 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 and maybe something would happen. So you just accept God's providence. It's beautiful. And so this is one of the things that we don't understand. All right, now, here's the thing. Jesus said in John 14, 2, in my father's house, there are many rooms, many mansions. What does that mean? I just thought there's just a lot of space that we're all going to show up there that make it to heaven 
I don't want to be presumptuous. That's one of the worst things. You know the two worst sins you can ever commit? Despair and presumption. Despair is I have no chance to get to heaven. There's nothing I can do to make it. I give up. Don't fall into that trap. But the other sin on the opposite spectrum is just as bad and it's presumption. God would never send me to hell. I could do what I want. No. And so when we get to heaven, I thought when Jesus said there's many rooms, many rooms in my father's mansion, I thought that that meant just a lot of space. Augustine and Aquinas, I was just reading, taught that the reference to rooms or mansions refers actually to the differing degrees of rewards in heaven. I did not know that. Let's look at our next slide. This is the Council of Florence in 1439. And they said, those who have incurred no sin after baptism, as well as those who have been cleansed of all stain from sin, will clearly behold the triune God as he is. Yet one person more perfectly than another, according to the difference of their merits. This justifies Catholic church teaching on good works. Again, not good works in the sense that your efforts are going to get you to heaven. God's grace gets you to heaven. But in the efforts of good works of love, that is cooperating with God's grace to love God and your neighbor. Now, the Greek, if you go to the Greek, it ends with the words, according to the worth of your life. Oh, man. Vatican II says of those in heaven, <clears throat> all of us in varying degrees, notice that term, varying degrees, and in different ways, share in the same charity towards God and our neighbors, and we will all sing one hymn of glory to our God. Wow. All different, but all together. In 1979, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a letter on eschatology. And they stated, quote, our charity on earth will be the measure of our sharing in God's glory in heaven. Why are we Catholics so attacked for this? It makes perfect sense. Again, we're not buying our way into heaven, but it is love. Jesus taught that love gets you to heaven. So you can see why the church continuously urges us to grow in love for one another. First in God. All right, what does the Catholic Encyclopedia say about heaven and hell? I, I, I'm, I'm actually going to um, hopefully finish a little shorter today. Heaven, Catholic Encyclopedia says, the blessed see the Godhead in its entirety, but only with a limited clearness of vision because it doesn't have the infinite clearness that corresponds to the divine perfections. In other words, we can't comprehend infinite of God. <clears throat> Hence, it follows that one blessed soul may see God more perfectly than another with varying degrees. Again, Catholic Encyclopedia. There are various degrees of beatitude in heaven corresponding to the various degrees of merit. Again, justifying the Catholic Church teaching. All right, Matthew 25. This is a dogma of the faith. Just mentioned Florence. It was taught there. The Bible teaches this truth wherever it speaks of eternal happiness as a reward. The church fathers, they defended that. Differing degrees of beatitude are what Christ distinguishes when he says that the word of God bears fruit in some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Did you ever think about that? Matthew 13, 23, Jesus said that the word of God will bear fruit in some 30, some 60, 
and some 100-fold. Right there, God is telling us that we experience it differently. Now, hell, the Catholic Encyclopedia mentions, the pains of hell differ in degree according to what? If heaven, your level of heaven and how you experience depends on your merit and how you cooperate with God's grace, your efforts don't get you to heaven, God's grace does. Then what does your level of hell, how is it determined? According to demerit. Remember when you were in high school, you got a demerit? Grade school, you got a demerit? That's what it is. This holds true not only of the pain of sense, but also the pain of loss. What's the difference? Okay, pain of sense, obviously a physical pain, but a pain of loss is the worst. Separation from your beloved, the worst. Now, a more intense hatred of God, a more restless craving to satisfy all your natural desires with carnal things, a more seeking happiness in earthly material goods, all of these things imply a more complete separation from God. You're seeking happiness somewhere other than God. This is what I was talking about. Saint Macarius, you ever hear of him? He found a skull and he had that skull. You know why the saints usually see him with skulls? It's not because we worship the devil. It's because it reminds us of our mortality. Well, anyway, he found a skull and the skull talked. So he asked the skull who he was. And the skull told him that he was a pagan and the very lowest levels of hell. Now, the person asked him, St. Marcarius, asked him, are you in the lowest level of hell? And he said, no, there's one level lower. And this is the one I got from Brother Mark just this morning. The skull said that the only ones lower are the souls of bad Christians because during their lives, they treated with disrespect and disregard the blood of Christ by which they were redeemed. Well, Father, I don't do that. Not going to Mass? You're doing that. Well, Father, I don't do that. Not going to confession for your sins? You're doing that. That is the price that Christ's blood being shed won for you. You may not be consciously disrespecting it, but you're disregarding it. This is a wake-up call. Wow. So let's finish with what Dante said in Dante's Inferno. Uh, in Catholic Digest, there's some work by Sean Sullivan called What Dante's Inferno Can Teach Us About Death and Sin. I find this very interesting. Okay, now, the, Dante's Inferno is not official Catholic Church teaching, uh, but it's part of the Divine Comedy, and it's been used by the church for centuries, right? And um, the Divine Comedy is divided into three sections. I remember reading this in seminary, so I want to share this with you. I hope I remember it correctly. Um, there's three sections, one for hell, one for purgatory, and one for heaven. So let's look at our next slide. This is Dante's descent into hell, the inferno. So when we talk about Dante's inferno, we're talking about hell. It's basically timeless. 
The way he describes it applies just as much today. Now, he says, the punishment for the myriad of sinners who have been confined to the underworld are fitting. The punishments are fitting to the vices that we lived. So Dante shows various figures from his time, as well as times prior in the world, that embody the punishments that were awaiting those vices that they partook in. Now, he shows why certain vices damn someone to a particular section of the underworld more than others. Okay, for example, let's go through the levels. This is very interesting. Before even getting into the formal divisions of hell, Dante talked about a space for virtuous pagans and those who had died unbaptized to show God's mercy to those who, through no fault of their own, did not know Christ, yet still sought virtue and justice throughout their lives. We could call that the natural law. All right, here are found the great philosophers, he said, Plato, Aristotle, uh, the Islamic scientists, Averroes and Avicenna. Now, the great, they were not actually into hell. They weren't heaven, but they weren't into hell. While great men, their ignorance of Christ doesn't warrant them, warrant them salvation. So they're, they're kind of trapped on this border, right? Not quite damned, but not quite saved, but not damned because they did follow the natural law. Now Dante provides a space for these virtuous pagans and those who died unbaptized. He calls it God's mercy. God's mercy. Now, the virtuous but ignorant find themselves spared of damnation. Um, and, and they gave themselves over, um, you know, to, to justice. They tried to, tried to be just, but they did not know Christ. Christ is the only way through salvation, but it was no fault of their own. So they weren't actually damned. But then he gets into those who were damned. The sparing, the, the, talking about the rigors of damnation, those who gave themselves over to the primitive appetites. What did we just talk about? The seven deadly sins. He talks about the first level of, head, of hell are those who gave themselves to the primitive appetites of lust, gluttony, greed, and wrath. He calls that the first level of hell. They suffer at the highest levels of hell, not the lowest levels, the worst levels, but the highest levels because their sins were born not from an attempt to harm others or hatred of others, but from weakness of your character and perversion of natural desires. I always say, you know, are people gonna really struggle with weakness? Because it's not as bad as hatred. It's not as bad as malice. It's not as bad as unforgiveness. Yeah, those are, those are reserved for the lower levels of hell. But I always thought sins of weakness, oh, God would never let somebody go to hell out of a sin of weakness. And in my 20s, I rationalized that. And so in my 20s, I said, I'm going to continue. I'm going to try. You know, I'm going to try. But I'm not really going to fight that hard because I'm just going to go to confession. And I'm going to go to confession because God knows I'm weak. And he would never let me go to hell because of my weakness. 
He's too merciful. Well, not according to this. It's not as a depth, the worst level of hell. But giving ourselves over to our appetites does warrant the first level of hell. And then I said, well, God would never let me go there because and here I am, I'm 22 years old. God would never let me go there because he just knows I'm a weak man. I, I succumb to the sins of gluttony or the flesh. And I would just say, well, if I fall, that's okay. I'll just go to confession. Now, yes, confession is always there if you fall. And it's always good to keep going. I've, I've told some penitents, I don't care if you have to come to me every day for the rest of your life. You do it. But I was a little different. I really wasn't fighting it. I wasn't really trying because I just said, I'll run to confession. That is presumption. That is the guilt of presumption. That I'm just going to presume God's mercy. No. No. We have to just really factor in the fact that we have to, we have to overcome control of the flesh. That's why fasting is good. The spirit controls the flesh. And so the sins of the appetites, like lust, gluttony, greed, and wrath, they, they suffer at the highest level of hells. Their sins are, again, not from hatred or harming others, but stemming from weakness and perversion of natural desires. Now, Dante talks about those who commit sexual sins. Yes, they're not the worst sins, but then I was 22 years old, and you know what changed my life? I was watching EWTN, and all of a sudden, a little clip came on that said, Mary said at Fatima that there are more souls in hell for sexual sins than any other soul, or uh, any other sin. All right, Lord, that's it. That's all you had to show me. And I don't think people realize this. This is why we are trying so hard to teach purity. Now, people say, well, Father, the sin of heterosexual premarital sex is just as bad as homosexuality. Why are you focusing on homosexuality? We don't. We teach both sins are wrong. Any sexual sin outside of marriage is wrong. However, there's an added element with homosexuality. While heterosexual relations are wrong outside of marriage, if you have two engaged people who are very close to the wedding, and yes, they succumb to weakness of the flesh, that is not as serious a sin. I'm not, it's still a sin. But the fact is, Thomas Aquinas tells us it's at least natural between man and a woman. The sin of homosexuality is not natural. So not only do you have the sin of any sexual relations outside of marriage, which is all sins, with homosexuality, you have the additional element that it's unnatural. This is what the catechism has said. That's why it calls it a disorder. And the American Medical Association, the Psychiatric Association, used to call it a disorder. Now that's all been removed. You know what we're doing there? Oh, well, Father, we're being nice now. We're being charitable. No. You're taking away the education of the people of the moral standard that God is holding us to as a people. And that's why the Catholic Church is trying to teach what she does. It's out of love, not out of hate. And so 
Um, all those, now let's go to the next level. All those who have actively sought to bring misfortune to others and to rebuke in full the commandments of Christ, they suffer more severe punishments. So they're the next level down. Now we get into the worst sinners, those who not only actively conspired to harm their fellow brothers and sisters, but also to do harm against God and his creation. These are people who literally hate Christ. First are the heretics, then the violent and the murderous. And this was shocking to me. The worst is the fraudulent and the scheming. Those who sit down and actually plan the destruction of others. Wow. I mean, we can all get carried away in the emotional part of the moment. But when you sit down and you scheme it, very, very, very serious. He actually showed actual souls. Simon Magus, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great really surprised me he had him on there because I loved Alexander the Great, one of the greatest military generals, and I thought he was a, uh, a man of virtue. He has Attila the Hun, as well as numerous figures from his, his modern-day Italy at the time. And he says, none are spared from fires which rain from darkened skies above. Vipers biting at their heels, monsters and fallen angels who strike with glee at any lost soul that they can find. And then finally, at the very bottom of the inferno are the traitorous, the traitors. Also a little bit surprising. Those who have joined Lucifer in partaking of the first sin of all creation, conspiring against friends and more so against God. Now, there found the murderous. He had Julius Caesar, but he also had the notable traitors and, and polit politicians of his own day. But you know who the worst punishment was for all? And this, this one, I guess I can understand. But the worst punishment for all was saved for one person. Do you know who that was? Judas. Let's show our next slide. This is Judas. And so Dante said, the worst punishment for all, however, is saved for Judas Iscariot, the only man to match Lucifer's error in betraying God. Now, every time we sin, we betray God. But we got to ask ourselves, how conscious are we in doing it? And so Dante's construction of hell testifies to the truth that even in sin, God has a righteous mercy. You get what we deserve. To whom much is given, much is, deserve, or much is expected. In the same way, God's mercy is justice. The greater the sinner, the greater the right you have to his mercy. I always use that example of the medic out on the, on the battlefield. My dad's uncle was in World War II, got his arm blown off by a German mortar cannon. Now, there he is with his arm blown off. What if the guy next to him, you know, I got a, um, in my middle finger right now, I got a bad infection. Now, if I'm sitting next to my uncle, who has the right to the medic? Him with his arm blown off or me with a little infection on my finger? Of course he does. 
He has the right to the medic. He who is mired in sin, the greater the sinner, the greater right he has to my mercy, Jesus said. That's his justice equals his mercy. And so Dante talks about this. His justice is severe for those who rebuke his mercy, but his mercy is great for those who accept it. The tribulations of hell are reserved for no one in particular. Did you know this? That's what people think the Catholic Church teaches because the Lord sees only by the lives that we lead. That's all he looks at. Um, If you're rich in virtue or full of vice, God looks at how you lived. He didn't design you to damn you. Your choices choose. So in the case of most people, where do we fall? Walking a path in between the two virtue and vice. And so we got to make that turn towards the virtue. We have to. And this is what? The Lord sees us only by the lives that we lead. Do you know that saints tell us, you know how God judges you? God judges you when you go before him by what he smells. So the saints have told us that Will we have a fragrance before God? That's why I think God is so strong in the fragrance, like the presence of a saint like Mary or St. Therese, we smell roses. But with Satan, what does Faustina explain? That was wretched stench. Wretched stench. And so many saints have said that when you go before the judgment, God will smell. Now, we don't think of him, we're anthropomorphizing him in a way that, you know, he doesn't, have a human nostril and, and, and that, but, but how we lived our life is, is how we will appear before God. And so the Lord sees us only by the lives that we lead. You know, he, he does this. So we would do well to heed this message and never forget that we are going to die, not to forget the dead have already died before us and that may be incurring purification and purgatory. And remember, ask yourself, When anybody dies that you know, did you have anything to do with them having to be extra purified in purgatory? Because if you did, especially an old boyfriend or girlfriend or somebody that you hated in life or somebody that you in any way, shape or form could not stand or somebody that you caused to reach high levels of anger, you might be responsible for part of their purification and purgatory. Keep that in mind. All right? Now, for as with God's grace, the damnations which might await us are not the punishment of a wrathful God, but self-inflicted wounds from which only Christ can save us. So to finish, our, our theologian Chris Sparks, he said, when I was talking to him about this talk, he sent me some stuff. He said, Father, remember the different degrees of heaven and hell mean different things in each place. In heaven, the higher share with the lower, right? Light, knowledge, um, et cetera. They, They are transmitted from higher to the lower, the angels, for example. And what about the saints? Our lady, she's the highest. She's why we call her mediatrix, of graces because she gives those to us lower. In hell, it's different. It is orders of suffering and oppression. There is no self-donation or gift. There's only envy, pride, gluttony, ambition, most of all, hatred. 
And so the differences between saints and heaven are many. Uh, and people don't get this. This is a Joe Heschmeyer did a great article on this. He said, what evidence do we have that there's differences in degrees of the saints in heaven? Well, it starts here on earth, he said. The material world, think about this. This is really fascinating. The material world, God bestows greater glory on some things more than others. Who has a greater glory, a human or a rock? God created them both. The human, of course. So a human is given more and treated differently than a rock, even though they're both created by God. What about the days of the week? Are the days of the week equal? All seven, are they all equal? No. Yes, every day belongs to God, but the Sabbath is especially holy. And for us Christians, the Lord's Day, Sunday. What about in the angelic world? Is there equality? No, there's a hierarchy of angels, the thrones, the powers, the dominions, the principalities, the archangels, the angels. They're different. Paul talks about this. The idea that there are seven angels only privileged to stand in the presence of God. This comes from Tobit and Revelation. All right, let's go to our next slide. This is the temple, the Jewish temple. Is that equal? No. In the outer courts, those are for everybody. Only in the very inner court, the Holy of Holies, could the high priest enter. They're different. They're unequal. What about our spiritual lives? Right here on earth, some people are more holy than others. It's not just a question of good and bad, but good and better. That's why Abraham could intercede for Lot. He was holy. Job could intercede for his friends. He was holy. St. Paul held himself as a model to be imitated by other Christians. Now what about the kingdom? Jesus Christ says those who will be the greatest or the least in the kingdom of heaven. That means there's levels. What about the kingdom to come? At the Last Supper, Jesus said to the 12, you will be the judges. Well, does that make it sound like they're on the same level with everybody else? Heck no. What about heavenly worship? In the book of Revelation, St. John describes not a heaven in which everyone is equal and interchangeable, but a dazzling array of differences. So people say, okay, Father, I get it. There's differences, but why is that such a big deal? This is where I end. Satan. Satan is trying to convince us today that equality is the number one thing at the expense of everything. Everybody must, no matter how hard you want to work, no matter how hard you want to pray, no matter what, everybody must be treated equal and it becomes enslavement. Regarding the idea that everyone must be equal and interchangeable in heaven with no differences of degree, is hard to see how anyone could come to that conclusion on the basis of sacred scripture that I've been reading you. It's the same on earth. Leo XIII, let's go to our final slide. Leo XIII, greatest pope ever in the history of the church. He warned of this. The first encyclical I ever read of any of the popes was Rerum Navarum by Leo XIII. And he warned us that all of the individual rights are going to be taken away if we're not careful. Mary warned of communism and socialism. No private property. This is Rerum Navarum. It's going to disappear. Private, private property is a right, God-given right. 
No individual freedom. It strives to destroy the degrees that people have been made unique by God. It all seems so good. Treat everyone equally. This is not Christian. This is satanic. Reward is to be based on merit. And this whole movement, the DEI, diversity, inclusion, and equity and all this, this woke ideology is flawed. It's not based on merit. It's based on a lie. And so this is what Satan is using. Communism is atheism and anti-Christianity disguised as good. It's the devil's plan. So why, Father, are you bringing up there's different degrees in heaven? Why everything is not equal in heaven? Because Satan's trying to make it all the opposite on earth. You see that little trick of his? And when our kids are being taught how beautiful communism and socialism are, it's not. This is why Mary warned us. This is why Mary gave us a strict warning. And so the levels of heaven and hell should show us that what we merit is how God sees us. Again, not that good works get us to heaven. Not that our own efforts will earn our salvation. Our salvation was only earned by Jesus Christ on the cross. But after that blood was shed for us, are you receiving it? Are you honoring him through it? And that's what the world wants to take from us. Do away with religion. That's the number one thing of communism and socialism. The state is God. And so that's the number one thing. Get rid of it. It's such a, a demonical plan. And it's so sly. And it's so subtle. Because it's under the guise of good. It's under the guise of good. And so let us pray for our schools, our governments, our workplaces, that they will see the value of individuality. They'll see the value of uniqueness of how God created you. You are a unique person that God has never created like anybody else in the history of the world. And so let us honor that and give glory to God through it. That's the whole purpose of this talk, is to be aware of the dangers of what's happening in our world today. What is good will be called evil, the Catholic Church. What is evil will be called good, communism and atheism. So praise be to God, we trust and we continue to believe. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, very good, everybody. In the last of Brother Market show, um, on our website, or excuse me, on our screen, you'll see Become a Marian Helper, micprayers.org. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. It only takes a few minutes. Please sign up. Be part of our Marian family. We pray for you. You pray for us. It's a huge value of grace that you don't want to miss. Um, and then finally, the last two um, slides that are up there. If you'd like to get more explanation of our faith, please um, take a look at uh, the book. Uh, shopmercy.org has my book, Understanding Divine Mercy. It's a great way to really understand our faith. And then lastly, if you've experienced any suffering or loss, Jason, Father Jason and I wrote the book after suicide. It's not just about suicide, but about any struggles or suffering. And you can find that on shopmercy.org or suicideandhope.com. So God bless you. And we'll see you next week for First Fridays and First Saturdays. God bless you. Thank you, everybody, for coming.
please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.